All right, so what do you think of when you think of psychics, mediums, fortune tellers? What do you think of when you think of that sort of thing? I think of Miss Cleo from the commercials in the 90s, okay? Call me now for your free reading. You remember this commercial, the lady with the hat and the, the globe and... You call the 900 number and she tells you your fortune, supposedly. I never tried it. Um, most of us probably think that all of that stuff is a scam. And most of it probably is. But it may surprise you to find out that some of it is not. At least not according to the Bible. So uh, hopefully that's enough to get your interest. Uh, we're going to start in... Um, 1 Samuel 28, verse 3, it says this, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. If you remember, the writer already told us about Samuel's death a few chapters ago. I think he's reminding us because he wants us to know Samuel is really dead. He's not mostly dead. He's, he's really dead, okay? And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers, those who speak to the dead, out of the land, okay? So there were people at that time who claimed to have the power to speak with the dead. This was a common practice in ancient times. There are records of lots of cultures participating in this. Most of it was probably a scam like it is today, but some of it was real. In fact, it was by God considered to be dangerous and it was strictly forbidden by God to do these sorts of things. The law actually commands such people to be put to death, to be stoned to death specifically. And anyone who would go to this person seeking advice was, would become unclean. God had called it an abomination, okay, something that was very wicked. So do not do this. Don't get involved in this stuff. The point here is that Saul shouldn't have allowed these people in the land at all. They, they should have been stoned to death. And instead, what he does is he exiles them, at least supposedly, okay? So verse 4, the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. Remember last week, David and the army is beginning to form and David's been serving the Philistines, right? So that we've taken a pause, come back to that next week. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Okay, so there's the fear again. Again, this is a major theme in this chapter. It's been a major theme in the book of 1 Samuel over and over. Fear, fear, fear. Verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Okay, So the writer reminds us, God has not been speaking to Saul for a long time now. Saul and God are not on the same page. God at that time often 
communicated with kings in the Bible using dreams. He often communicated with priests in the Bible using the Urim, which was the, this was the stones on the ephod that the, priest, the high priest wore. And then God typically spoke to the prophets in the Old Testament by visions and audible voices. Okay? God's not doing any of that. God's not giving Saul any dreams. He's, uh, Saul has already slaughtered all the priests. Remember, the only one that made it away was the high priest's son who's now with David. David now has the ephod. Samuel was dead. And God is silent. He's not speaking. And the principle here, this is really annoying me. I'm sorry. We've got to figure this out. You all hear all that nonsense? Let's see if that's any better. Okay, we'll see. Reminder to self, don't wear 14 pieces of clothing on stage. Okay. Um, Verse 6, yeah. Okay, so uh, the principle here seems to be this. If you refuse to listen to God's word, God may stop giving it to you. If you refuse to listen, He may stop giving it. God will abandon people. He will abandon, even He will abandon churches. Now, God will never completely abandon His people. But God will abandon people who abandon His Word. And that is all over Scripture. Okay, In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus sends letters to seven New Testament churches. Okay, So after the resurrection, He's talking to Christians in churches... And he threatens several times to remove his lampstand if they don't change something about the way they're being a church. What that is, is a threat to remove his word and his power from those local churches. We see God doing it here with Saul. Watch what happens, verse 7. And Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. Okay, so much for Saul's casting out the mediums, right? So they they know where one is already. And this is pretty bad, right? Saul makes this public show of exiling the mediums which made him seem pretty righteous. Look at me, you know, following the way, right? Being a good Jew. Let's get rid of the mediums. But now, in fear, he decides to consult one. And he must have been pretty desperate because this woman is located in a place called Endor, which means he had to go around the Philistine army to get to her. So he's taking a a big risk To do something that is forbidden. Verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments. So he takes off the robes of the king and wears something else. And it says he went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said... Divine for me by a spirit, 
and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. Now, before we read the rest of it, this is a a really good place to remember an important principle. Who we are in private is who we are in reality. Character is who we are when no one else is watching. And this is always convicting to me personally because if I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not always the most conscientious person in private. I face constant temptation to be a different person here than I am at home. And I'm being honest with you about that. And that is Saul's sin right here in this verse. That's what he's doing. Fear is of man, fear of man, same thing for me. Fear of man is causing him to be a different person in private than he is in public. And that's obvious because what does he do? He disguises himself and he goes by night. He knows this is not what he should be doing. Or at least he doesn't want people to see it. Okay? Verse 9. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. So she doesn't even recognize him yet. How he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now, you cannot make this up. Saul swears by the name of the Lord that he will break the word of the Lord. Because that's what he just did. According to God, had Saul known the word, and I would assume he did, at least had heard it before, This woman should be stoned to death for her evil practices, according to the Bible. Instead, Saul promises not to harm her by the Lord. In other words, Saul uses God. That's what he's doing. He's using God, but clearly he doesn't even know God. Or he doesn't care. And that's dangerous ground. Verse 11, the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Now notice that the writer leaves out the actual ritual, okay? There was some kind of something that happened, but he skips it. He doesn't want to give any attention to this woman's whatever she did. Saul asks for Samuel. The woman does something. We're not told what she does. But then she sees Samuel and screams, which is really interesting because it tells us that either she was surprised that it worked. (laughs) She wasn't used to that. That's one possibility. 
Or the other possibility is what she says is that because of this, she's realized in the moment that she's dealing with King Saul. And either way, that frightens her and she screams. Okay, verse 13. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wearing a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. So there it is. Now we have every reason to believe this is the literal ghost of Samuel. And that's pretty disturbing, right? (laughs) Um, The Bible never says that this stuff is fake. It only commands us not to do it. It's evil. God hates it. He doesn't want us to participate in it, but He never says that... It can't happen. Okay, Um, So, really this is a warning. So let me just be really clear about this. Um, When you visit a person like this, you are either being deceived or you're doing something wicked. Okay, Neither of those is a good option for you. So please don't visit fortune tellers, mediums, psychics, things like that. Okay, I would even put horoscopes into that category. Stuff like that. Not okay with God. Okay? Uh, Verse 15. And Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I've summoned you to tell me what I shall do. I mean, just do you hear the arrogance and the ignorance in that? Verse 16, and Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. At first glance, you might assume that Saul got what he wanted. Okay, The ceremony worked. Samuel came back from the dead to answer Saul. But pay close attention. Samuel added nothing to what God had already said. Except the timing of Saul's death. 
Nothing. Samuel only hears, sorry, Saul only hears what he should have already known, what God had already told him. In fact, had Saul not done this, then he probably would not have died in battle the next day. How do I know that? Because 1 Chronicles 10 tells us. This is in 1 Chronicles. It says Samuel died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. In other words, Saul got nothing from Samuel except what God had already told him and then an immediate curse because he asked this way. And I think there's a really helpful application for us here. Brothers and sisters, we are not going to get anything new out of God. We don't deserve any new information. That's not why we come to church. That's not why we pray. That's not why we do Christian things. Okay? You're not, we're not using God to get Him to do what we want. We're not praying to God so He'll give us secret information. God has given us His Word. He has given us His Word and that is enough. That's enough. Micah 6.8 He has told you, past tense, Oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? God thinks the Bible is enough. We don't need more instructions. We don't need more revelations from God. He has finished what He has to say to us in the Bible. Now, to make it super clear, the Bible actually ends with a very stern warning in Revelation 22. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, whether he's talking about just revelation of the whole Bible, which is what I think, that's a pretty serious warning to people who think they need or have special knowledge from God that's not already in the Bible. The minute you start claiming to have a word from the Lord that's not clearly already in the Bible, you're entering into the territory of mediums and psychics and necromancers. If he didn't already say it in the Bible, he's not saying it to you. That's just a kind of a... I think an important application since that's what got Saul killed. But let's finish the story. Verse 20. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. 
and there was no strength in him, for he had not or he had eaten nothing all day and all night. So he was fasting almost as a spiritual preparation for whatever this this was. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you've said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. Saul refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him. And he listened to their words. Just quick pause. That's supposed to sound a lot like the Garden of Eden. So Saul arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants and they ate. And then they rose and went away that night. So here I think is the moral of the story, if you will. In fear... Saul went looking for information when he should have been looking for communion with God. Saul went looking for information when he should have been looking for communion with God. When I feel a loss of control, do I spend more time Seeking communion with God or trying to fix the problem on my own? When I feel discouraged or unhappy, do I spend more time seeking communion with God or trying to self-medicate in some way? When I'm sick or in pain, do I spend more time seeking communion with God or trying to Google the prognosis and figure out what I'm supposed to do to help it? You see, we usually just want information. Tell me what to do. Tell me what's going to happen. Tell me how to fix it. And even when we seek God, usually for us, it's more about getting God to fix the problem, right? Oh, God's never going to help me with this. I don't go to church. I don't read my Bible. I better start doing those things so God will help me. That's that's necromancy. That's not our faith.
But that's what we do. And it's usually not about having closer fellowship with Christ, more trust in Him. And I, I think that's the failure here. And I think that we can relate. I know I can. What about you? And here's the thing. Saul's about to die the next day because of what he did. Could that be what we deserve? For all the times, all the times I've been two people instead of one, all the times that I've gotten religion because I just wanted something from God, not because I actually want to be close to Him. Alright, let's wrap it up. If you remember, got to think back, this has been months ago, okay? Saul's story began, he's looking for some animals, right? And he went to Samuel to ask for help. What did Samuel do? He served him a meal. You remember that? He served Saul a meal. It was a meal of blessing. It was an invitation into his family. It was a, it was a, a, a statement of, of anointing, of recognition. And do you remember that Saul felt unworthy? Because he was unworthy. He understood that then. And now, his story ends with a meal served by a witch. This is a, and I just pause again real quick before I finish this thought. This is why the Bible is so incredible to me. I mean, you cannot make this stuff up. I mean, how beautiful is it, the story that is written here? If you take the time to look at it, it begins with a meal and it ends with a meal. He, the very prophet that the witch draws up is the one that served him the meal. Now he's being cursed. And it's just beautiful to me. Um, back to the story. So he is now, Saul is now feasting at the table of a witch. This is the lowest of the low. Peter Lightheart, one of the um, commentaries I've got, he calls this a counterfeit Passover complete with unleavened bread. This was Saul's last meal. He eats it at night. He leaves the same night, and what does he do? He marches to his death. You see it? And that's where we find the gospel connection of this story. Who else ate their last meal at night? A feast of unleavened bread. Right? Like the guy on TikTok. <laughs> right? I mean, it's so obvious, right? Who else ate unleavened bread at night, his last meal, then marched to his death the next day? Come on, guys. That is brilliant story writing by God. It was Jesus Christ. And today we will eat at His table, one of which we are unworthy to eat apart from Him. We will remember the meal and our Savior because we don't need a counterfeit. 
We don't need a counterfeit. Jesus Christ is the real presence of God. He is the living word of God. He's offered to us freely. Just like we take this little plastic cup and we take it freely. We don't bring anything to the table. We just come. Samuel was the shadow of a man returned from the dead. Jesus actually came back from the dead. Amen. If you want to see your loved ones again. You come to Him. Because that's where they are. With Him. He is our only hope. We don't need to consult the dead. We need to consult the living Christ. We need closer communion with Him. And so may God give us the grace, not just today, but more and more each day, not to waste our time in fearful pursuits, but to seek more and deeper communion with Christ. Amen. Uh, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we are about to um, participate together in the Last Supper, the, the Lord's Supper, we pray that You would make it a means of grace for us, that even as we've heard Your Word, um, we would see this as, a, as a, a visible sign and seal of that Word, and that we would take it in grace, in faith, And look to you, our living hope. Pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning.